Well, howdy, and welcome to another edition of Railfan Roberts Reading Railroad. <laughs> Tonight, the Hardy Boys in Part 4 of the Tower Treasure, Chapter 7, The Arrest. Frank and Joe were determined to help their chum prove his father's innocence. They shared his conviction that Mr. Robinson was not guilty. Of course he's innocent, Frank agreed. He'll be able to clear himself all right, Slim. But things look pretty black right now, the boy said. He was white-faced and shaken. Unless Mr. Hardy can catch the real thief, I'm afraid Dad will be blamed for the robbery. Everybody knows your father is honest, said Joe consolingly. He's been a faithful employee. Even Mr. Applegate will have to admit to that which won't help him much if he can't clear himself of a charge. And Dad admits that he did know the combination of the safe, although, of course, he'd never used it. He knew it, repeated Joe's surprise. Dad learned the combination accidentally. It was so simple one couldn't forget it. This was how it happened. One day, when he was cleaning the library fireplace, he found a piece of paper with numbers on it. He studied them and decided they were the safe combination. Dad laid the paper on the desk. The window was open and he figured the breeze must have blown the paper to the floor. Does Mr. Applegate know that? Not yet, but Dad's going to tell him now. He realizes it will look bad for him, but he's going to give Mr. Applegate the truth. From the library came the hum of voices. The harsh tones of heard Applegate occasionally rose above the murmur of conversation. Finally, the boy heard Mr. Robinson's voice rise sharply. I didn't do it. I tell you, I didn't take that money. Then where did you get the 900 that you paid on the note, demanded Mr. Applegate. Silence. Where did you get it? I'm not at liberty to tell you or anyone else. Why not? I got the money, honestly. That's all I can say about it. Oh, ho, exclaimed Mr. Applegate. You got the money, honestly, yet you can't tell me where it came from? A pretty story. If you got the money, honestly, you shouldn't be ashamed to tell where it came from. I'm not ashamed. I can only say again, I'm not at liberty to talk about it. Mighty funny thing that you should get $900 so quickly. You were pretty hard up last week, weren't you? Had to ask for an advance on your month's wages. That is true. And then the day of this robbery, you suddenly have $900 that you can't explain. Mr. Hardy's calm voice broke. Of course, I don't like to pry into your private affairs, Mr. Robinson. But it would be best if you clear up this matter of the money. I know it looks bad, replied the caretaker dodgingly, but I've made a promise I can't break. And you admit being familiar with the combination of the safe, too, broke in Mr. Applegate. 
I didn't know that before. Why didn't you tell me? I didn't consider it important. And yet you come and tell me now? I have nothing to conceal. If I had taken the securities and jewels, I wouldn't be telling you that I knew the combination. Yes, agreed Mr. Hardy. That's a point in your favor, Mr. Robinson. Is it? replied, asked Mr. Applegate. Robinson's just clever enough to think up a trick like that. He figured that by appearing to be honest, I'd believe he is honest and couldn't have committed this robbery. Very clever. But not clever enough. There's plenty of evidence right this minute to convict him, and I'm not going to delay any further. In a moment, Mr. Applegate's voice continued. Police station, hello? Police station? This is Applegate speaking. Applegate. Heard Applegate. Well, we found our man in that robbery. Yes, Robinson. You thought so, eh? So did I, but I wasn't sure. He has practically convinced himself by his own story. Yes, I want him arrested. You'll be up right away. Fine. Goodbye. You're not going to have me arrested, Mr. Applegate, the caretaker cried out in alarm. Why not? You're the thief. Might have been better to wait a while, Mr. Hardy interposed, at least until there was more evidence. What more evidence do we want, Mr. Hardy? The owner of Tower Mansion sneered. If Robinson wants to return the jewels and securities, I'll have the charges withdrawn, but that's all. I can't return them. I didn't take them. Sir Robinson defended himself. You'll have plenty of time to think, Mr. Applegate declared. You'll be in the penitentiary a long time. A long time. In the hallway, the boys listened in groped excitement and dismay. The case had taken an, an abrupt and tragic turn. Slim looked as though he might collapse under the strain. My dad's innocent, the boy muttered over and over again, clenching his fist. I know he is. They can't arrest him. He never stole anything in his life. Frank patted his friend on the shoulder. Brace up, pal, he advised. It looks discouraging just now, but I'm sure your father will be able to clear himself. I, I'll have to tell mother, stammered Slim. This will break her heart. And my sisters? Frank and Joe followed the boy down the hallway along a corridor that led to the east wing of the mansion. There, in a neat but sparsely furnished apartment, they found Mrs. Robinson, a gentle, kind-faced woman who was lame. She was seated in a chair by the window, anxiously waiting. Her two daughters, Paula and Tessie, twelve-year-old twins, were at her side. All looked up in expectation as the boys came in. What news, son? Mrs. Robinson asked, barely, after she had greeted the Hardys. Bad mother. They're not, they're not, they're not arresting him, cried Paula, springing forward. Perry nodded wordlessly. But they can't, Tessie protested. Dad couldn't do anything like that. It's wrong. Frank, looking at Mrs. Robinson, saw her suddenly slump over in a faint. He sprang forward and caught the woman in his arms as she was about to fall to the floor. 
Mother! cried Slim in terror as Frank laid Mrs. Robinson on a couch, and he quickly told his sister, Paula, bring the smelling salts and her special medicine. Perry explained that at times under undue excitement causing an attack, I shouldn't have told her about Dad, the boy chided himself. She'd have to know it sooner or later, Joe said kindly. In a moment, Paula returned with the bottle of smelling salts and medicine. The inhalant brought her mother back to consciousness. Paula then gave Mrs. Robinson the medicine. In a few moments, the woman was completely revived and apologized for having worried everybody. I admit it was a dreadful shock to think my husband has been arrested, she said, but surely something can be done to prove his innocence. Instantly, Frank and Joe assured her they would do everything they could to find the real thief, because they too felt that Mr. Robinson was not guilty. The next morning, as the brothers were dressing in their room at home, Frank remarked, There's a great deal about this case that hasn't come to the surface yet. It's just possible that the man who stole Chet Morton's car may have had something to do with the theft. Joe agreed. He was a criminal, that much is certain. He stole an automobile and he tried to hold up the ticket office, so why not another robbery? Right, Joe. I just realized that we never inspected Chet's car for any clues to the thief, so let's do it. The stout boy did not bring his jalopy to school that day, so the Hardys had to submerge their curiosity until classes and baseball practice were over. Then, when Mrs. Morton picked up Chet at an Lola, Frank and Joe went home with them. I'll look under the seats, Joe offered, and I'll search the trunk compartment. Frank walked to the back of the car and raised the cup. He began rooting under rags, papers, discarded school books. Presently, he gave a cry of victory. Here it is, the best evidence in the world. Joe and Chet rushed to his side as he held up a man's red wig. Frank said excitedly, maybe there's a clue in this hairpiece. An examination failed to reveal any, but Frank said he would like to show the wig to his father. He covered it with a handkerchief and put it carefully in an inner pocket. Chet drove the Hardys home. They assumed their father was in his study on the second floor and rushed up there and into the room without ceremony. Dad, we found a clue, Joe cried. Then he stepped back, embarrassed, as he realized there was someone else in the room. Uh, sorry said Frank. The boys would have retreated, but Mr. Hardy's visitor turned around, and they saw he was Perry Robinson. It's only me, said Slim. Don't go. Hi, Slim. Perry had been trying to shed a little more light on the tower robbery, explained Mr. Hardy, but what is this clue you're talking about? It might concern the robbery, replied Frank. It's about the red-haired man. He took the wig from his pocket and told where he had found it. Mr. Hardy's interest was kindled at once. This seems to link up a pretty good chain of evidence. The man who passed you on the shore road wrecked the car he was driving, then stole Chet's and afterward tried to hold up the ticket office. When he failed there, he tried another more successful robbery at the tower. Do you really think the wig might help us solve the tower robbery? asked Perry.
taking hope? Possibly. I was just telling your father, Slim went on, that I saw a strange man lurking around the grounds of the mansion two days before the robbery. I didn't think anything of it at the time, and in the shock of Dad's arrest, I forgot about it. Did you get a good look at him? Could you describe him, Frank asked. I'm afraid I can't. It was in the evening. I was sitting by a window, studying. Happened to look up. I saw this fellow moving among the trees. Later, I heard one of the dogs barking in another part of the grounds. Shortly after, I saw someone running across the lawn. I thought he was just a tramp. Did he wear a hat or a cap? As near as I can remember, it was a cap. His clothes were dark. And you couldn't see his face? No. Well, it's not much to go on, said Mr. Hardy, but it might be linked up with Frank and Joe's idea that the man who stole the jalopy may still be hanging around Bayport. The detective thought deeply for a few moments. I'll bring all these facts to Mr. Applegate's attention, and I'm going to have a talk with the police authorities. I feel they haven't enough evidence to warrant holding your father, Perry. Do you think you can have him released? The boy asked eagerly. I'm sure of that. In fact, I believe Mr. Applegate is beginning to realize now he may made a mistake. It will be wonderful if we can have Dad back with us again, said Perry. Of course, things won't be the same for him. He'll be under a cloud of suspicion as long as this mystery isn't cleared up. I suppose Mr. Applegate won't employ him or anyone else. All the more reason why we should get busy and clear up the affair, Frank said quickly. And Joe added, Slim, we'll do all we can to help your father. Chapter 8 An Important Discovery when the Hardy boys were on their way home from school the next afternoon, they noticed a crowd had collected in the vestibule of the post office and were staring at the bulletin board. Wonder what's up now, said Joe, pushing his way forward through the crowd with the agility of an eel. Frank was not slow in following. On the board was a large poster. The ink on it was scarcely dry. At the top, in enormous black letters, it read, $1,000 Reward. Underneath, in slightly smaller type, was the following. The above reward will be paid for information leading to the arrest of the person or persons who broke into Tower Mansion and stole jewels and securities from a safe in the library. The reward was being offered by Herd Applegate. Well, that must mean the charge against Mr. Robinson has been dropped, exclaimed Joe. It looks like it. Let's see if we can find Slim. All about them, people were commenting on the size of the reward, and there were many expressions of envy for the person who would be fortunate enough to solve the mystery. A thousand dollars, said Frank, as the brothers made their way out of the post office. That's a lot of money, Joe. I'll say it is. And there's no reason why we we haven't a good chance of earning it as anyone else. I suppose Dad and the police are barred from the reward, for it's their duty to find the thief if they can. 
But if we track him down, we can get the money. It'll be a good sub to add to our college fund. Well, let's go. Say, they're slim now. Perry Robinson was coming down the street toward him. He looked much happier than he had the previous evening. And when he saw the Hardys, the Hardy boys light up, his face lighted up. Dad is free, he told them. Thanks to your father, the charge has been dropped. I'm sure glad to hear that, exclaimed Joe. I see a reward is being offered. Your father convinced Mr. Applegate that it must have been an outside job and the work of a professional thief. Chief Colling admitted there wasn't much evidence against Dad, so they let him go. It's a great relief. My mother and sisters were almost crazy with worry. No wonder, commented Frank. What's your father going to do now? I don't know, Slim admitted. Of course, we've had to move from the Tower Mansion estate. Mr. Applegate said that even though the charge had been dropped, he wasn't altogether convinced in his own mind that Dad hadn't had something to do with the theft, so he dismissed him. Well, that's tough luck, but your dad will be able to get another job somewhere, Frank said consolingly. I'm not so sure about that. People aren't likely to employ a man who's been suspected of stealing. Dad tried two or three places this afternoon, but he was turned down. The Hardys were silent. They felt very sorry for the Robinsons and were determined to do what they could to help them. We've rented a small house just outside the city, Slim went on. It's cheap and the neighborhood is kind of bad, but we'll have to get along. Frank and Joe admired Slim. There was no false pride about him. He faced the facts as they came and made the best of them. But if Dad doesn't get a job, it will mean I'll have to go to work full time. Why, Slim, you'll have to quit school, Joe cried out. I can't help that. I wouldn't want to. For you know I was trying to get a scholarship, but... The brothers realized how much it would mean to their chum if he had to leave school. Perry Robinson was an ambitious boy and one of the top ten in his class. He had always wanted to continue his studies and go on to a university, and his teachers had predicted a brilliant career for him as an engineer. Now it seemed that all his ambitions for a high school diploma and a college education would have to be given up because of this misfortune. Frank put an arm around Slim and shoulders. Chin up, he said with a warm smile. Joe and I are going to plug away at this affair till we get to the bottom of it. It's mighty good of you fellows, Slim said gratefully. I won't, won't forget it in a hurry. He tried to smile, but it was evident that the boy was deeply worried. When he walked away, it was not with the light, carefree step which the Hardys associated with him. What's the first move, Frank? Joe asked. We better get a full description of those jewels. Perhaps the thief tried to pawn them. Let's try all the pawn shops and see what we can find out. Good idea, even if the police have already done it, Frank grinned. Then he sobered. Do you think Applegate will give us a list? We won't have to ask him. Dad should have that information. 
Oh, let's find out right now. When the boys returned home, they found their father waiting for them. I have news for you, he said. Your theory about the wrecked auto being stolen has been confirmed. Colin phoned just now and told me the true ownership has been traced by the engine number. Car belongs to a man over in Thornton. Good, that's one more strike against the thief, Joe declared. But a moment later, the boys were met with disappointment when they asked their father for a list of the stolen jewels. I'm willing to give you all the information I have, said Fenton Hardy, but I'm afraid it won't be of much use. Furthermore, I'll bet I can tell what you're going to do. What? Make rounds of all the pawn shops to see if any of the jewels have been turned in. The Hardy boys looked at each other in amazement. I might have guessed, said Frank. Their father smiled. Not an hour after I was called in on the case, I had a full description of all those jewels in every pawn shop in the city. More than that, the description has been sent to jewelry firms and pawn shops in other cities near here. And also the New York police. Here's a duplicate list if you want it, but you'll just be wasting time calling all the shops. All the dealers are on the lookout for the jewels. Mechanically, Frank took the list, and I thought it was a bright idea. It is a bright idea, but it has been used before. Most jewel robberies are solved just in this manner, by tracing the thief when he tries to get rid of the gems. Well, said Joe gloomily, I guess that plan is all shot to pieces. Come on, Frank, we'll think of something else. Out for the reward, asked Mr. Hardy, chuckling. Yes, and we'll get it, too. I hope you do, but you can't ask me to help you any more than I've done. It's my case, too, remember? So from now on, you boys and I are rivals. It's a go. More power to you, Mr. Hardy smiled and returned to his desk. He had a sheaf of reports from shops and agencies in various parts of the state through which he had been trying to trace the stolen jewels and securities. But in every case, the report was the same. There had been no lead to the gems or the bonds taken from Tower Mansion. When the boys left their father's study, they went outside and sat on the back porch steps. What do we do now? Oh, asked Joe. I don't know. Dad sure took the wind out of our sails that time, didn't he? I'll say he did, but it was just as well. He saved us a lot of trouble. Yes, we might have been going around in circles, Frank conceded. Joe wagged his head. It looks as if Dad has the inside track of the case, in the city anyway. What have you got in mind, Joe asked. To concentrate on the country. We started out to find the thief because he stole Chet's car. Let's start again from that point, meaning Mr. Redwig may have came back to the woods expecting to use Chet's car again, and Frank, you're a genius. You figure the guy may have left a clue by accident. Exactly. Fired with enthusiasm once more, the brothers called to Mrs. Hardy where they were going. They set off on their motorcycles. After parking them at the picnic site, 
the brothers once more set off for the isolated spot where the jalopy had been hidden. Everything looked the same as it had before, but Frank and Joe examined the ground carefully for new footprints. They found none, but Joe pointed out six-inch circular marks at regular intervals. They're just the size of a man's stride, he remarked, and I didn't notice them before. I didn't either, said Frank. Do you suppose that the thief he tied pads onto his shoes to keep him from making footprints? Let's see where they lead. The boys followed the circular marks through the thicket. They had not gone far when their eyes lit up with excitement. Another clue, Joe yelled. And this time, it's a swell one. <laughs> no part of this episode may be reproduced without my personal permission. Rail Fan Robert's Reading Railroad is a production of Raccoon Gaming Rail's Railroad Productions. And all, all podcast episodes are owned by Raccoon Gaming Rail's Railroad Productions.